Good morning, and welcome to episode 420 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Hello. Hi, Ben. Hi. I'm about to do a I'm about to do a flurry of typing, so ignore <laughs> ignore that. What's up? Uh, well, the Red Sox salvaged their season. I don't know if you saw that. Um, wow, that typing is very loud. Um, after after the Red Sox opening day loss, Dan Shaughnessy declared Game Two a must win. Huh. <laughs> 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 and they did win it. They beat Baltimore six two. So the season can go on. That well, that means today. I mean, that means that tomorrow is a must win too. Uh, not necessarily. Maybe I mean, if they lose Game Three, maybe Game Four is a must win. Well, no. If you can't afford to lose a second game, then you can't mm. afford to lose a second game. They're all must win from here on out. Yeah, but maybe Nothing it's the, short of 161. Well, it's okay. the psychological effects of starting the season 02. It's tough to come back from that. Mm. Um, okay, so I don't really have a single topic. I have a few different topics today, so we can just work our way through them, I suppose. Uh, first one wanted to talk about this uh, this Ned Yost tactical decision that is that is getting some criticism. Um, it was, well, it, the, the Royals have now lost two, two one-run games to the Tigers, and in both of those games, uh, a reliever other than Greg Holland lost the game uh, in, in game one. Holland came in after the game was lost, and in game two, he didn't come in at all because it was a tie game on the road. But that's typical standard manager stuff. Uh, in the second game, there was a situation in the eighth inning um, where uh, the, the Royals had been facing Max Scherzer, who had been doing Max Scherzer things, and um, there was a leadoff double by Salvador Perez. Yost replaced him with Dyson pinch running. Uh, Moustakas and Lorenzo Cain struck out, so it was two outs, um, and that brought up Alcides Escobar, and Yost did not pinch hit for him. Um so our our friend Andy McCullough spoke to him after the game, and Yost's explanation was basically that uh, this early in the season you don't want to pinch hit for a guy because it's a it's a sign of lack of confidence. Use the phrase, Ben. Uh, you want me to quote him? I want you to quote him. It's a good quote. Uh, yeah, pinch hitting for guys gets in their dome, and you don't want to get in their dome in the second game. Um, mm-hmm. He also said, until these guys show trends, that's when you start doing it. It's too early to start getting in guys' heads about pinch hitting, especially when you're struggling as a team offensively. Um, but he also says we are going to pinch hit for Escobar in the ninth inning if it came up that the score was still one nothing and they needed someone to hit a home run, but not in that situation. Um, so this is this is one of those things where he, you know, he said uh, it's hard for, for fans to understand because... There's something about the psychology of players that we don't know, that that losing confidence, that knowing the manager doesn't have confidence in you in this situation is something that could have lasting ramifications. Um, And he also makes a a legitimate point that Escobar is not necessarily as bad a hitter as he was last year um, because he was not a a terrible hitter in in 2012. but he did have Danny Valencia and uh, Justin Maxwell on the bench as possible pinch hitters. 
And this is one of those things where, I don't know, when the when the Royals missed out on the playoffs last year by four or five games, whatever it was, I think, I think Ranny went back and counted up all the games that he blamed Ned Yost for. <laughs> and if, if you did that, it was the difference between the Royals not making the playoffs. Of course, he didn't do that for every manager, so maybe if he did that for every team, he wouldn't have looked so bad, but... But how many, you, well, wait. How many? How many did he give Yost credit for? Uh, I don't remember, but I think it was it was enough to to catch them up to whoever they trailed. Or at no, least... but I, I I don't mean losses. I mean uh, wins. How oh, many wins. wins did he okay. Give? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a lot easier to come up with manager losses than manager yeah. wins, probably. Right. Anyway, uh, I mean, unless unless you just start with the presumption that. Uh, all of these moves are more or less self-evident, and you know every good move should be made. There's right. like if, if the premise is that there is no reason not to make the optimal move, given that baseball is uh, slow and uh, you know moderately simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you would think that there would be all sorts of times where he brought in a pitcher who pitched well. So mm-hmm. anyway, go ahead. So um, do you do you ascribe any value to Yost's explanation of this particular move and? I don't know. When you're trying to project the team heading into a season, do you factor in manager? Because that was sort of a, a storyline with the Royals that, you know, they kind of have a competitive team, but maybe they don't have the guy who can get them there. Um, well, so who was uh, who would have pinch hit? Who was the option? Uh, they had Maxwell and Valencia. Um, hmm. And who was the pitcher? Scherzer. Hmm. Uh, Valencia um, is a right-handed, right-handed hitter. lefty masher. And yeah. um, Maxwell, of course, is also a right-handed lefty masher. Mm-hmm. And Alcides is a right-handed nobody masher. Yes. Um, yeah, so I I don't know. I mean, my my uh, initial response to that was was certainly not to overreact to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't. It didn't bother me. The, uh, the the phrasing of his answer didn't bother me. I guess I should say, mm-hmm. uh, because you know the 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 difference between adding two major league hitters, um, you know, especially a bench hitter, uh, and and Escobar is is exceptionally low in in one plate appearance. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's very very hard to tell the difference between two hitters over the course of one at bat. And if you uh, are a manager and your job is to, uh, you know, lead men and make an assessment of their characters and put them in positions to thrive, uh, it's hard to it's hard to fault them for prioritizing that to some degree. We'll we'll of course never know whether Ned Yost is correct or not, but it is like explicitly his job to prioritize those sorts of things. Now, mm-hmm. he might he might sensibly prioritize that by. Uh, concluding that there's very little dome work going on and that he shouldn't pay much attention to it. Uh, but, you know, if he, it, regardless, that would still be using that as a factor to make your decision. Uh, and Yost used that as a factor to make his decision. It's his job to use that as a factor to make his decision. So I don't, it, it doesn't bother me. And the difference between, like I said, the difference between two hitters is, is very slim. Now, I would, I would say that the difference between what Escobar is going to be in, uh, in a domed situation, an <laughs> undomed situation, mm-hmm. given Escobar's extreme limitations at doing anything mm-hmm. offensively, uh, would also be very slim. I mean, it seems very unlikely to me that Escobar could possibly be significantly worse than he is at the plate, and it seems very unlikely that he's going to be uh, significantly better. Um, but 
it, but yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I, I think ultimately I would conclude that. So I'm looking up Maxwell's because I would I would pinch hit Maxwell there if I were going to pinch hit. I wonder uh, how many times Escobar was pinch hit for last season. I mean, you'd think that must have happened. Well, it's just as long as it's not in game two, you see. Oh. Game two is a, game two is a, a as as they say is a must not pinch hit situation. Clean <laughs> uh, so slate, fresh start. In his career, Escobar's got a six forty OPS against righties, and Maxwell's got a seven ten OPS against righties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously overly simplistic. I guess all uh, you need is a single there, though. Uh, all right, so. I mean, if we're doing this, uh, Maxwell's <laughs> Maxwell's a 220 hitter against righties mm-hmm. uh, in his career, and uh, Escobar's not going to be much worse than that. Uh, two 254 mm-hmm. against righties, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah, I mean, I it, when you bring that up, I mean that I, I started with the premise that the difference is going to be so insignificantly small that it wouldn't show up in one plate appearance, um, like. You know, I was thinking like maybe one in like 200 at bats, it would matter who was batting between the two of them or something like that. But uh, you know, now it looks like it could even be in reverse. Mm. I'll I'll go through the motions with Valencia, but um, yeah. he's kind of uh, he basically has a reputation for having one skill, and it ain't hitting Scherzer. Yes. Um, so maybe that I don't know. Maybe that shows that two twenty nine. Two twenty nine, and in fact, two twenty nine uh, against righties. And a worse OPS against righties than Valencia. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, maybe, uh, than, uh, than Escobar, sorry. Uh-huh. So maybe that need, means that the Royals need a better left-handed bench hitter. <laughs> I guess they uh, have they have Dyson, who was running already. Well, but, yeah, no, can we now turn to ripping Yost for having the wrong reason for making the right decision? Because... It seems now. Now we can conclude that he was unaware that Escobar was his best offensive option, <laughs> and <laughs> complain that that he's uh, he's he's making the right decision on the the wrong grounds. Uh-huh. Uh, but of course, a single is not. You don't only need a single. There. Yeah, it'd be nice to get a double or a right. triple it, or a home run. This was, but this was not a walk off situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. All right. And, um, and if you use and if you use Maxwell there. Then you can't use him to pinch run for Billy Butler later in the game. And there's some, uh, mm. there's some, there's some loss there. I mean, you know, you're but gonna. Do you want to make Billy Butler think he isn't fast in game two <laughs> of the season? I mean, I don't know yeah. about that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a, uh, if there's a. I mean, you could imagine. Well, I guess you have Valencia there. I was gonna say you could imagine that you wouldn't want to burn Maxwell to pinch hit for Moustakas against a lefty later in the game, but of course you have Valencia for that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It, none of it bothered me, to be honest. The the mm. Holland one, of course, is a eternal bother, but that's he, he just did what, like, 28, maybe 30, other, maybe 29 other managers do every single time. I mean, there's no real point uh, litigating against, against him mm-hmm. specifically. We did get a listener email the other day about which manager's uh, chairs are the wobbliest right now, and I wonder if I had to. Do, I had to. I'm in a. I do a. Uh, I do a, a massive prediction spreadsheet uh, contest against a friend every year, uh-huh. and one of our one of our questions is first manager fired, and it was extremely hard for me this year. It was much harder than usual. What did you decide? Gardy and Gibson. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, those seem like pretty good picks. All right. Um, moving on. Um, 
If we could just talk about the, I guess, the first few days of replay, just because we uh, we had Dan Brooks on to talk about the potential pitfalls of the system over the offseason, and now we've seen it in practice for the f- first few games, and it seems like the the things that we were worried about have so far not shown up. Um, the, the concern was that there was just going to be a challenge on, on any close play just because uh, there are enough challenges and few enough mistakes in the typical game that the incentives would just be heavily skewed in favor of challenging whenever whenever you had a doubt about a play. Um, and we haven't really seen that. I can I can maybe look it up as we go, but uh, it doesn't seem like the the rate of of upheld or confirmed calls um, has been way, way higher than the rate of overturn calls. We have seen some overturn calls and it's, it's, I feel like it's going to be a while before I get sick of overturned calls. Those are still really exciting just to see a, a close play actually go the right way. Whereas before we just would have had to live with it. Um, so it seems like that's not that big an issue or at least hasn't been so far. And you'd think that if it were going to be, it would be pretty quickly. I mean, if we were going to see just a, a crazy number of challenges, then that would show up. We wouldn't need a huge sample uh, unless it's something that managers would do more and more as as time goes on. Yeah, um, right. Well, you could imagine that as managers uh, <clears throat> realize how many unused challenges they're going home to their wives with, mm-hmm. uh, that they will be more liberal about using them. But, uh, I mean, I've watched an awful lot of baseball in the last three days, and I haven't picked up any, like, like there have been very, very few moves where I've, uh, plays where I've thought, uh, that's, that's, that's close enough and that nobody did. I mean, very, very few now, of course, we're talking about abuse. So maybe I'm not noticing the possibilities for abuse, the opportunities for abuse that have not been taken, but, um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like there's a real abuse to it. I mean, I would say that the issues so far, none of which bother me because I don't, um, I, I try not to judge baseball too harshly. I just let it. I just let it. I just let it. Let it flow past me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that one. Uh, one is that it makes the missed calls that do stand, for whatever dumb reason, mm-hmm. particularly painful or yeah. particularly annoying. The Giants, I believe, have already had two missed calls uh, mm-hmm. go against them. One was that they had just used their challenge like twelve seconds earlier. Right. And. On a pickoff, uh, pickoff play or force play at first, yeah. and, and it was not overturned, right? And, and then, then the next, there was a, uh, yeah. Then there was a someone scored and did not. He shouldn't have been safe, but but Bochi couldn't challenge. And then the first day, uh, the first game of the season, there was a play where the the second base umpire ruled that the fielder had come off the bag to uh, to catch a ball. And this was not a neighborhood play. This was this was one of those plays where the umpire like waves his arms to show that the the fielder has come off the bag you know Mm -hmm. and it was very it seemed extremely clear that he hadn't uh in the uh you know in fact come off the bag i don't know if uh bochi thought that he couldn't challenge it because it was it was like sort of in the neighborhood of the neighborhood play Mm -hmm. but it was it was not the neighborhood play he could have challenged it and it, it seemed pretty obvious that it was a missed call i mean it looked like an egregiously bad call in, in real time, and then the replay showed it to seem to be not close. Anyway, it's dumb that play, it's really dumb that we have this system, this this entire system with 
like like 30 monitors. They keep showing the monitors. There, there's more than 30 monitors. There's there's monitors uh, so that people can monitor the monitors. It's like there's just nothing but monitors in this room, and you have it staffed, and you have all this uh, infrastructure in place to to get these calls right. And then they're like, yeah, but like 15% are just going to get wrong for no reason. I mean, <laughs> if the idea is that that having the limit on the challenges is is intended to create a sort of gamesmanship or a strategic element, the same way that you know you and I have have acknowledged that there's something fun about catcher framing and about about having an inconsistent strike zone because it, it creates this game within the game that even though we know it's an imprecise and, and a flawed strike zone, it, it does create the skill that certain players have. And so you can sort of accept it. If that's the idea, if the idea is that by having um, a limit on challenges, we're, we're going to test managers and make them more skilled, I can accept that. But that's not what it is. It's just to speed up the game. And uh, and so, I don't know, I would just get the calls right. I, I would think that you should just uh, uh, take out those arbitrary limitations. The other thing is, and again, I don't mind this, because I don't care if baseball games take forever, and I don't really care that baseball's more boring. It's, it's, it's just what, it's what I do. I watch boring baseball for long periods of time. That's, okay. That's all okay with me. However, it's really boring <laughs> when, the, when the guy comes out and stalls and, and it's, you know, he just sort of ambles out in his slow walk and then mm-hmm. talks to the umpire and just kind of glancing at the dugout. And, you know, <laughs> you're just sort of waiting. Is he going to challenge? That yeah. is much more boring than they had led us to believe it would be. And this idea that it's speeding up the game, I don't think it's necessarily significantly slowing down the game to the point where the average fan should notice it. Mm-hmm. But it is not speeding up the game. This is definitely slowing down the game. The, the idea that you're going to remove the manager arguments and therefore speed up the game by doing this to me, seems to be clearly not true. Manager mm-hmm. arguments were not this frequent, they were not this long, and they were kind of entertaining. Um, <laughs> so this is it is pretty boring, and I can see why a person who's not as uh, invested in the absurdity of baseball uh, and is actually invested in like the adrenaline of baseball, unlike me, uh, would find this to be kind of their you know a little bit of their worst fear. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I should get Evan Brunel to uh, to lip read one of those conversations that happens during the stalling because I'd love to know what the manager is saying. Like on the either the first or second challenge of the season, Freddie Gonzalez went out and and was talking and stalling, and you could see him just you know periodically glancing into the dugout at the bench coach who was on the phone getting word from someone who was looking at the replay, and he just kept glancing over there and glancing over there, and then eventually the bench coach gave him the thumbs down, which I guess meant that the, the call was incorrect, and then he challenged. So I'd love to know what he was saying while he was stalling. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder whether they'll crack down on that, because it would be nice if it, if you just had to make a snap judgment um, and yeah. not, not have to do this. Uh, and yeah, and, yeah, and, that, and the, the thing about certain calls just not being able to, not being challengeable just because you've used your challenge already, that was, I think, our main complaint as happy as we were when the replay system was announced that was our our main complaint that that there was a challenge system at all and so in that uh dodgers or uh whatever it was the giants game where he wasn't able to to challenge that ended up being a pretty crucial play and um because it was the fourth inning the the crew chief couldn't call for his own replay which he can do after the seventh inning so yeah, so that's that's sort of sort of silly, and maybe that will be changed too. It seemed like they were they were open to using this season to gather information on how well this worked, and then revisiting it. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if there were some sort of change. But overall, it's it's a positive and it's nice and I like it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, last thing. Um, Bo Porter had a quote. Uh, Evan Drellick got a quote from Bo Porter last week, I guess, about um, how Porter approaches bullpen roles. And Porter said, you know what your role is? When your phone rings and your name's called, go get people out. That's your Love role. Love that guy. That's why you're in the bullpen. Yeah. Yes. So, right. <laughs> so that's what we've been wanting and waiting for for a manager to say. Um, I, I kind of... I don't know. I kind of had a cynical reaction to it, I guess, which is that it's really easy to say that if you're Bo Porter and you don't <laughs> and you don't really even have a closer. Like if, yeah. you know, if Bo Porter were on some team with an established guy who gets saves and make millions of dollars and he takes over that team, would he have said that? Would he approach his bullpen that way? I sort of I sort of doubt it. Um, I mean, he's he's on a team now that you know, as I guess Josh Fields got the save today. There's no, there's no established high paid, highly paid guy. Um, it's just kind of a bullpen by committee by default almost. So if you're, if you're Bo Porter and you take over this bullpen, then it's almost in your best interest maybe to, to say that. I mean, it, on one hand, you have a team that's not spending a whole lot of money and they can keep prices down by not anointing a closer and getting him tons of saves and giving him the closer aura. And uh, he also kind of gets out of being second guessed from not for not bringing any particular pitcher in at any particular time. And um, so that was kind of my take on that. But at the same time, I guess if it's going to change, this is how it's going to change, right? It'll be Bo Porter on a bad team setting a precedent for that and we'll see whether he actually sticks to that precedent or whether he you know in the end just sort of picks a closer and sticks with him like any other manager but this is i guess how it has to happen um at the saber analytics conference brandon mccarthy was asked about how bullpen management will change or or how it could change from the standard eighth inning guy ninth inning guy system and he said that it, it has to start at the lower levels because guys are used to having a designated role, even like when they're in rookie league or something, even when, even before you know whether a guy has closer potential necessarily, you just give him an inning anyway, and guys get used to that the whole way up the ladder. And so he, he made the case that you'd have to change, you'd have to do a whole organization wide overhaul. Um, and then once you established it as this organization's policy, then anyone who joined the organization would just live with it. You know, they just know that this is what they're getting into. And it's an established system and and there's no point in complaining about it. So uh, I guess, you know, easy for Porter to say this or easier for him to say it than than some other manager. But at the same time, I guess that's what it's going to take for for this to take hold. I think that's I think that's probably true. But there's this line in uh, Jonah's book about the Expos where he's talking about some guy that they traded for and he came over and was immediately miserable and and terrible, and I think you threatened to retire. I might be confusing, uh, conflating stories, but uh, the 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 guy who made the trade said that we learned then that you should never trade anybody who uh, doesn't feel like it's a promotion to be traded to you. Mm-hmm. And um, I I mean, if, as long as you're talking about it was Maury Wills, maybe. Yeah, it might have been Maury Wills. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't seem it seems impossible if you. Um, to, you know, if you just declare that you know that 
the relievers have to do it your way and you know you're the boss and all that that yeah they're not going to take it necessarily all that well they're better at their jobs than you know probably you are uh as a manager maybe even uh, but if you sold it to them as a promotion, if you were able to convince them it was a promotion, and if it didn't hurt them, like if you, like, so Kimbrel right now, for instance, is, he's locked up forever, like he signed an extension. So this, it will not affect his, his salary at all, more or less, to, to lose saves. I mean, it wouldn't anyways, Craig freaking Kimbrel, but, uh, you know, even if, even if he were, you know, like, you know, dependent on saves to, to convince people he's really good, um, you know, he's signed. It's not going to hurt him financially to, to give up saves. So if you sold it as a promotion that he's going to be pitching uh, when the team needs him most, and you, you were just really on message with that, uh, I could see it taking. And so, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I think that that assessment is, you know, it, it does provide a realistic path to ending the, uh, you know, the, the strictness of the roles. But I don't think it's the only way, is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be curious to see whether Porter is the manager of the Astros when they're good. Because just so often it seems like a team will have one manager for the rebuilding years who's good at working with young players and you know getting them to have the right work ethic and all of that. And then once the team gets good and every win really counts, um, then they will replace him with someone else who's maybe a a more tactical guy with a more veteran team that doesn't need to be micromanaged. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can do both and whether he's trusted to do both. Um, all right. Uh, oh, um, last thing, I, neither of us or, or no one at BP wrote about it. We didn't talk about it. Did you have any uh, reaction at all to the new PED suspension policy? No. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like I, I, I think we've talked about it enough. I mean, not this one specifically, but I feel like your views and my views on PEDs and penalties are established. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was perfectly... I think it's the... Yeah, I basically support whatever the players want. Mm-hmm. The only... Just, my, my, my philosophy is it's the player's game, and until, until that gets uh, ludicrous or starts killing the market completely, we should, we should abide by what the players want. It's mm-hmm. they're, it's, they're the ones who should make the rules, more or less. Yeah, and I don't have any problem with it. It's it's what first time is eighty games, and second time is full season. Um, and I guess my only problem with it was, as Jason Wojcikowski pointed out, eighty yeah. games is kind of meaningless. It sh- should be eighty-one games, right? Eighty is a nice round number, but it's not half a season. Um, so that, and, and I guess the only other thing that people were mildly uh, questioning was the fact that players who test positive serve their suspension, and then come back, are still banned from the playoffs? Yeah, it's fine with me. Yeah? It's fine. I don't... I I think it's fine. Yeah, no, the reason I think it's fine is because it seems absurd to me that the penalty... The severity of the penalty is dependent on the randomness of the date that you're tested. That's true. If the the penalty is... If if the penalty includes postseason when you're suspended in August... It should include postseason when you're suspended in April, just that it's consistent severity of penalty across the board. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, and and one other thing they added was just some sort of recourse for people who, uh, I mean, there are false positives for these tests, and if you're going to slap a really, really heavy suspension on them, you have to have some mechanism for, for guys who didn't actually do anything to, to plead their case. So that is a possibility now also, which is probably a good thing. Um, all right, good. 
<laughs> so we're done. Um, we'll be back with one more show tomorrow. Um, I'll be making my, my MLB Now debut today. So anyone who's who has a DVR or is around MLB Network from 4 to 5 Eastern can, can see me talking about baseball. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 for a one-year subscription. And we'll be back tomorrow.